Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and super excited to have you on this episode to talk about my experience at the Kauai 5.0 50-mile race that had just happened this past Saturday. Now, I'm actually recording this episode from Kelso, Washington, getting ready to crew and pace Sally McRae this weekend at the Bigfoot 200, which she is absolutely going to crush. Now, if you know Sally's journey, she did Cocodona, which was her first 200 miler back in May and then she recently completed the Tahoe 200 I believe 17 days prior to Bigfoot so she's jumping into Bigfoot 200 uh, as her third 200 mile race in just a few months as well as she's looking to do the triple crown challenge and I'm super stoked to crew her to support her to cheer her on to pace her and to uh, see her continue to inspire which uh, she's just absolutely amazing so um, super super excited about that and I thought I mentioned that as I'm recording this here talking about Kauai 5.0. Um, I literally just got off the plane um, from Hawaii last night into Phoenix at about 10.40 p.m., got maybe about four hours of sleep and then headed right back to the airport um, as I flew into Washington to be here to um, support Sally. So um, here we are recording this podcast episode before we jump into the madness and I'm excited to recap everything about the race. Um, In this episode, I'm going to, uh, it's not all about Tahoe 200, um, but we're going to talk about the Kauai 5.0. So this was a 50 mile race that I did in Hawaii and the island of Kauai put on by my good friend Brady Silverwood um, and it was an awesome event it went well I'm going to cover my training going into the event I'm going to cover how the race went I'm going to cover my lessons uh, both the good the bad the ugly all the takeaways that I got out of the race so if you are looking to complete your first 50 miler or an ultra or an ultra that's especially hot because this one it was a very hot and humid race or if you're actually looking to do the Kauai 5.0 next year this is going to be a great episode for you also if you submitted a question on Instagram, I'm going to cover here as well. Now, before I dive in, I always like to say with these race and training recaps, um, for my training, I work with Zach Bitter as my coach. And Zach Bitter is known as one of the greatest ultra runners of all time, um, who has the who at one point had the fastest 100 mile time and most miles traveled in a 12 hour time period. So when it comes to performing high at an ultra, Zach is the go to guy. And that's why I work with him him as a coach and he's helped me you know not only complete the Kauai 5.0 but to also place top 10 male at Havelina 100 last year um, to improve from pretty much being a very very mediocre runner to someone who can actually go out and compete and ultimately I've seen tons of fitness gains working with him so the reason why I say all that is because a lot of people ask me who do you work with as a coach um, you know I'm looking to potentially work with the same person that you are and I always recommend Zach to do so and the cool thing is he has personalized training plans where you can give him all the inputs for him to create a training plan based on your lifestyle stress training history injury history schedule everything like that 
so it's fully personalized to help you progress as an athlete. Or if you're looking for something a little bit less low touch um, and also more affordable, he has uh, pre-made training plans based on whatever distance you're going for in a race, whatever time period you're going for, and then also your experience level as well. So if you're looking to you know, do a 50K and maybe you're a beginning ultra runner and you're looking to do it in a 12-week time period in the training block, he's got that all set for you there. So if you go to zachbitter.com slash coaching, you can see all of his options there. And I highly recommend working with Zach because he is the man. I also put his link in the show notes as well. So if you want to go there and check it out, go ahead and do so. Highly suggest you work with Zach. He is the man. He will help you accomplish your goals. And yeah totally recommend him. Now, let's get into the Kawhi 5.0 recap. So what is the Kawhi 5.0, right? So this is actually a brand new race. This year in 2023 was actually the inaugural race. I actually found out about this because um, I had Brady Silverwood on my podcast a while back. We actually got connected because he also did work with Zach Bitter at the time as well, which was super cool. And he reached out on Instagram and we just connected. And um, Brady is an awesome guy. I mean, he ran across the the country he did this insane half marathon streak i think it was like over 200 half marathons consecutively in a row um, he's done tons of different ultra marathons as well um, and i was like this guy is amazing had him on the podcast and after having him on the podcast he let me know that he was putting on this race called the Kawhi 50 which is super super cool um, and so basically it is a 50 mile race on the island of Kauai. And the way that the format is, it is a four loop format on pretty much dirt roads through a coffee plantation, which is super cool, or a coffee farm. And um, each of the laps was pretty much mostly exposed. Um, it was pretty fast and runnable for the most part. There was like a little bit of punchy hills in there as well, but it had beautiful views of the ocean. It had some jungle parts. It had some parts where, you know, you're overlooking in the mountains it had everything when it came to good views and uh, this is going to be something that was going to be in august 5th the cool thing about this race too is that he gave away tons of prize money so first place got 15 grand second place i believe got five grand and third place i think got 2500 or something like that but regardless he put up over 50k in prize money for this ultra marathon which was all super amazing i mean that is something you don't even see a lot of the seasoned ultra marathons do i mean western states doesn't even give a cash prize which is just so cool to see and so um, Brady made this uh, race a reality and he invited me out to the race and it fit into my schedule and I thought it'd be a great training run for Javelina so I hopped in so I guess I'll talk from the perspective right I mean Brady's my friend Hawaii's amazing right those are reasons why I did the race but personally for me one of the big reasons also why I did the race was because I looked at this race and I saw that it was very similar to Javelina 100 just on a smaller scale so what do I mean by that right so the way that I like to look at preparing for a big ultra is by looking at any tune-up races that are going to match up with that big race in a way that's going to simulate the conditions in a way where I can test my strategy. So for example, with Havelina 100, um, what I would do is, or I should say what I did do, is find a race that was very similar in conditions, very similar in type, very similar in terrain, and ultimately try to do it at a point where I can test out some of my race chase strategies so that I can ultimately see what works, what doesn't, what needs to improve, 
move before I head into kind of like the big phase of my training block itself. And this is something that I recommend anyone listening do. If you do have an A race on the calendar, one that's super, super important for you, I always suggest having a tune-up race. I would say like at least, you know, three to two months-ish before your big race so that you can actually go through and execute your race day strategies in a race day setting, right? You can always do this in your long runs as well. Long runs are meant to do that, right? To test your nutrition, your cooling strategies, maybe your altitude, maybe your um, technical footing, anything like that. But there's something when you do it in a race day setting that, you know, is really um, hard to replicate fully in a long run scenario. And what do I mean by that, right? In a race, you pretty much have like the excitement, you have the adrenaline, you have all these different highs that kind of come in before the race, you're with other people, you have aid stations, you have a crew, you might have pacers, right? So it more so simulates the actual race that you're going for, whereas in a long run, it's really hard to kind of fully simulate those things, right? And it might not seem like a big difference, but it really does in terms of just, you know, uh, testing out, you know, your crew strategy or testing out your hydration strategy or anything like that. So like for me, I wanted this Kawhi 50 race to kind of be experiment leading into Havelina 100 for me. And why it was similar to Havelina 100 was a few different reasons. Number one, it's a looped course. Um, very similar to Havelina. This this uh, Kawhi 50 race was four loops and Havelina 100 was five loops. Um, it, both races are completely exposed and in very hot weather. The only difference, Kawhi, very, very humid and Havelina, very, very dry heat. So that was kind of like the only really huge difference between the two. Um, and then in terms of terrain, very, very similar, very non-technical trail, dirt road kind of style running. Both of them very sh- share that same kind of um, uh dynamic. So I thought this would be a very good practice run for it. So that was one of the big reasons why I did it. On top of the fact that it's in Hawaii, it's awesome. My friend was putting it on. There was a lot of prize money on the line. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't going for that 15000 I was for sure going for it. Um, and yeah, I really wanted to go for it in, in that regards. Now I did take this as almost kind of like a training race. Of course I went hard and I wanted to perform well, but I really did see this as more of a training race for me. Um, and the reason why for me is because like, I really wanted to, um, again, be willing to be more flexible and experimental with some of the things that I was trying, um, just in case, you know, something, or just to find out if something was going to work right or wrong for Havelina coming up. Because for me, Havelina is my A race. And this one, I was willing to take a little bit more risks, willing to play around with some things, willing to try out new things, which I'll kind of test about, talk about in this as well. And really kind of, um, you know, try the waters, um, just so I can test out things with Havelina, because I really thought that was, the big win that I would have gotten from this race, um, aside from actually doing it. So that was kind of like my philosophy. Now with that, right, a lot of people are asking, well, what was your training going like into Kawhi 50 specifically? For me, I really took my training the same as I would as if I were going for Havelina. So basically, I just took my Havelina training plan and I stuck in the Kawhi 50 tr- like race as a part of that training plan. And so that's also the beauty of doing these tune-up races is because you don't have to be as disruptive with your current training on your A race. Because if the race is going to basically mimic a lot of the same things you're going to be doing on your ultimate race day or your A race day, you don't have to move around your current training to adapt to the tune-up race that you're going for as well. So for me, I really 
trained as if I was still training for a hundred miler. And if I was just training for the 50 miler only, I probably would have changed some things that I did in that training period. Um, but I would say I honestly kept my training uh, block pretty much the same way I would as if I didn't have the race in there. And ultimately, um, if I was continuing to train for Javelina. So with that said, I even did a really, really aggressive taper for this race, which I usually don't do. I usually give myself about, you know, a little less than a two week period to taper. And when I taper, I taper off the volume a little bit. I don't do as long of runs. Um, you know, my daily runs aren't as long. I'm tuning down, you know, the interval sessions, everything like that. But in this time, I actually did my last long run exactly a week before the race, and that long run was 25 miles long, which actually was the longest run that I've done in this training block for Javelina. So someone asked me in the in the um, questions, they said, what was your longest training run for the Kawhi 5 Technically, if you're looking at it through the lens of the longest run up to it, it was 25 miles, and it was the week before the race. Now, generally, if I was just training for this 50-mile race, I would have done my long run two weeks before the actual race itself. And I probably would have for a 50 mile would have taken it down a little less. So I did this really on time as well too. So I think that time for that 25, um, you know, miles was three and a half hours or so. I probably would have taken the long run maybe down to two and a half hours just because um, I don't think you need to overly do, like abuse the long run as much if you're doing a 50 mile race. Um, so I probably would have taken that down to two and a half hours or maybe three hours or something like that, you know, maybe even on the high end. I think three and a half hours might have been a little bit aggressive for a 50 mile race if I was just training for it in a vacuum. But again, the way that I was training for it was kind of like putting it into my um, Havelina training block, which is kind of already developed in that way. Um, and I was even doing, you know, two workouts that last week too. So like that, that week before Kawhi 5 I did two interval workouts, both with short intervals at a very high intensity and a 25 mile long run. So I put in a pretty decent, uh, you know, workload that week. I think I'm putting out my Strava right now in terms of the mileage that was on there and then the time on feet as well. So if I look at that um, week before the Kawhi 5 was 83 miles and just about 12 hours of um, time on feet, which is pretty heavy, especially going into a 50 miler the week before. Um, I do think again, that would, that would be a little aggressive for like a specific 50 mile peak week. Um, but still, um, I, uh, again, I, I didn't think it was too detrimental and I'd rather, you know, take the a uh, little bit of the risk um, just so I can get the development on that short interval session for Havelina 100 and, um, you know, not have to take things off the table for um, the Kawhi 5 And the reason why I did that too was because I knew that this weekend I was going to be pacing as well. So I wouldn't be necessarily doing as much like long run sign of stuff because the pacing is going to be a lot of hiking. It's going to be a lot of very slow intensity kind of things. So I also, I say that to say is you want to look at your training plan and kind of take into account the things that you want to accomplish, both for the given race that you have in your upcoming races, also your schedule of what you have earlier in advance and when you're going to get in key workouts and everything like that. And so kind of giving all these variables, I did talk to Zach about it and he actually formulated this training plan in this way. Now I did take a deload week going into Kauai. So what that meant was I, instead of doing two workouts, 
workouts a week. I did one workout a week. I actually did take two rest days that week too. One of those rest days was the day that I traveled. Usually almost every week I take one rest day, but this one I took two. So I still did pare down the intensity and the volume a week before the actual, or the week of the actual event. So I did kind of like this mini taper. So it's not like I went into it completely fried. And I think doing that helped me to, you know, get a lot of recovery in there as well. I don't think I was maybe fully recovered going into Kauai. I think just an extra week would have been nice as well. And I'm not just saying this uh, as an excuse for how I performed in the race, which again, you know, spoiler alert, I think I performed pretty well given the circumstances, which I'll go into. But I do think that if I given, if I had one more week of tapering, I probably could have performed a lot better in that regards. So in terms of training, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. Now, I was doing a lot of heat acclimatization, which in Phoenix right now, where I live and where I train right now, um, it is basically a non-option to not heat a climb, or I should say it's bas you basically have no option to not heat a climb. A climate, right? Is that, am I saying that right? You basically have no option to not heat acclimatize if that's the right word, uh, in the summer here in Arizona. I mean, we've had a crazy, crazy hot summer. Um, most consecutive days over 115 degrees in Phoenix. When you wake up in the morning, it's already 90 degrees. Even when it's like 5 a.m., it is crazy. And so pretty much almost every morning I was doing heat training. And I knew that going into Kauai was going to be very, very hot. Um, and so I was like, okay, this is great. I'm getting in the heat training. It's going to be awesome. Um, and I'm really, really going to like it from there. So I did find myself getting more used to the heat as I went through. Even um, the Sunday before the race, I went on a run, I believe around like 10-ish, 10 a.m. in the morning when it was already getting close to 100 degrees. And it felt like a very easy, comfortable run for me. Like I did not feel overly hot. Um, I felt like I was able to regulate my temperature really, really well. And so I was super, super confident in that regard. The tricky thing was the humidity. And so the way that I really prepared for the humidity itself, um, being in dry heat, it's really hard to kind of simulate those kind of situations. Um, I think one way that I did try and do to see if it would be helpful is I actually would douse myself with a little bit more warm water um, than usual. So usually, right, when I'm doing cooling methodologies, I like to douse myself with ice cold water because dousing yourself with water is going to create that evaporating effect in a dry heat to ultimately give you that cooling stuff. But when you kind of put warm water on, it's still going to evaporate, but it's not going to give that topical cooling effect, right? Like once it goes on you, it doesn't feel like it's cooling you down. It just feels kind of like you're adding to the warmth in a little bit. And so given in, in my eyes, I've said, hey, if I like actually pour some like warm water on me, like will this actually kind of help? Did it help? Did it not? You'll kind of find out in my recap or not, but that's kind of how I tried to practice for the humidity. Regardless though, like even if you are practicing for a humid race and you're in the dry heat, the best way to acclimatize to humidity is even just to, you know, practice in the hottest part of the day. And usually where you're kind of going at, if you're in a dry heat, it's going to be a little hotter than those humid places. So I would say like try and skew your training a little bit more towards the hotter part of the day, because really the big thing is just getting the actual heat temperature acclimatized as well. The humidity definitely makes it tougher to breathe, which I'll kind of talk about later on. Um, but really the way that, you know, you can best prepare for that humidity is just by actually getting heat acclimatized by running out in that hot condition. 
And if you don't have access to that hot conditions um, and to really get that solar kind of radiation outside, which is totally fine. I know that, you know, locations can be limited. Going into a dry sauna is a really, really good way to go. And if you don't have access to a dry sauna, then, you know, kind of doing the classic put on all the sweatpants and sweat clothes and everything like that and run outside and simulate that stuff will work as well. But your best option is always going to be to actually run in the heat as well. And then your next best option is going to be the dry sauna as well. So um, that's kind of like what I did to quote unquote prepare for the humidity. Um, again, that was just kind of like a way that I was going to try and test it out. Um, it wasn't, it was definitely different and definitely felt hotter. I would say like when I was kind of like putting on the um, warm water on there, like, it, like I was trying to simulate that as much as possible because I knew it was going to be sticky. Um, I don't know if it was as effective um, given just how the humidity kicked my butt on the day, but you know, that's kind of how I approached it in that situation. Now, let's talk about the actual race day itself. So the actual race day. So I originally, and this was something with the humidity, what I was thinking about doing that, um, I might try differently next time I may do a hot race. So my initial thought was I was going to, to battle the humidity, I was actually going to run shirtless. And the thought with that is because in a dry heat, usually what I do is I wear arm sleeves and then I wear um, a, a white shirt. And I want to make sure I have a little bit more clothes while not overbearing myself, but just have as more kind of clothes touching the skin as possible because then you can really maximize the cooling effect on there. The problem with humidity is you can't get that cooling evaporative effect. So really when you wear a lot of clothes, it just gets wet and it stays wet and it just stays soaked. So for me, I was like, you know what? I actually might do this shirtless just to go out and do it. Now, I actually made a last minute audible on this plan, which I don't know if it was 100% the right move, but the reason why I made the audible on the plan was two reasons. Number one, it didn't feel as humid as I thought it was when I was kind of out there in Hawaii the days before the race. So like it really didn't feel like this like kind of thick pea soup atmosphere. And to my perspective, I was like, you know what, this actually might be fine for me to actually go out and wear a shirt. Um, and I thought, hey, I might actually get some cooling effect if I actually have a shirt on in here. The second thing too is I also got worried about getting absolutely roasted by the sun if I had no shirt on. The course is pretty much, I would say like 95% exposed. Like there's 5% tree coverage throughout the course itself and it's gonna be super, super hot and sunny. And so for me, you know, I thought about it and I said, hey, I, I've got like the worst farmer's tan of all time. Like I'm pretty tan. Like, on the arms and the legs and everything that is exposed with t-shirt and shorts but when it comes to underneath that I am white as the living day and so for me I was like you know what there's a pretty high risk of me just getting absolutely burned out here um and for me you know, I just know myself. Sometimes I don't reapply sunscreen as much as I want to or as much as I like to. And for me, I don't even like to put too much sunscreen on because sometimes like I'll rub my eyes and it'll burn and stuff like that. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to wear a t-shirt. Um, now I would have worn arm sleeves, but unfortunately I actually forgot them back in Phoenix and I didn't realize until the night before when I was making this audible decision. And so I didn't have arm sleeves for the race. Now, 10 times out of 10, 
uh, given that I made the decision to wear the shirt, I would have worn the arm sleeves as well. And even just looking back retroactively about how hot I felt during the race, I would have 1 million percent worn the arm sleeves. So if you see me in the pictures without arm sleeves, that was not a conscious decision. That was a stupid decision for me. Um, <laughs> stupid meaning I left the arm sleeves actually back home. So I would have brought them. I would have worn them. 100% still stand by them. And uh, I think I paid for it a little bit on race day. Um, I tried to look for places that had arm sleeves the day before, but to no avail, could not find them anywhere. And you can't really order next day shipping on Amazon on um, a Hawaiian island. So um, at least for arm sleeves. So kind of had to suck it up and go for it. And I went for the shirt itself. Um, and then for the shorts, I wore John G's um, John G shorts, which I absolutely love as well. For the shoes, I wore the Pegasus Trail 4s. Now, this was an interesting choice as well because a lot of people were wearing road shoes, and I actually also did make a last-minute decision on this one as well. Um, and so, for me, I was actually going to run in Nike Vaporflies, which are pretty much road marathon carbon-plated shoes, light as a feather, um, and pretty speedy shoes, so to say. Now, I did see some videos of the course and saw that some areas were pretty rutted out there and for me knowing that I hadn't run on the course and we weren't allowed to run on the course anytime before the race either um, I made the decision to use trail shoes instead and I always make that suggestion is like if you want to wear road shoes on a trail you have to 1 million percent trust the road shoe now it's not that I didn't trust the Vaporfly it's that I didn't trust the actual trail because I hadn't seen it before right if I had run the whole course um, I know that, you know, looking back on it now, I probably could have gotten away with a, Viper, a Vaporfly, um, but I do think the Pegasus Trail was still a good choice just from a mental perspective, because like the problem is if you're kind of guessing, you know, if your shoe is going to be right for the terrain, it's going to be in your head during the race and God forbid you roll an ankle or something happens, you're going to be in your head being like, oh, see, I should have, should have listened to myself. Like what the heck, like blah, blah. So I wanted to even just remove the possibility of that even happening and said, Hey, if I just have a light trail shoe, that's actually going to carry me through the finish line. Um, and it's going to ultimately give me some traction if it is a little bit rutted, but still going to be fast. Even if it's technical, I'm going to go ahead and wear a trail shoe just in case. So I literally wore the trail shoe just for the extra mental security the extra comfort just all those things knowing and kind of eliminating the one ifs of an uncertain course just so i can be more confident in the course itself when i run out there so again i don't think it was you know uh, I, if i were to do the course again knowing that i ran the course i think running in a vapor fly would have been totally fine but just knowing that i didn't know the course itself as much and i wanted to just eliminate the factor of me just kind of second guessing myself out there i wore the pegasus trail four someone did ask in the uh, q a if looking back on it would i still uh, would have run in that if i was still going to choose a trail shoe 100 percent. the pegasus trail is fucking amazing um so if you know the Nike series, by the way, I don't even know if I said it was by Nike before, but yes, it's the Nike Pegasus Trail 4. Um, the Nike Pegasus is one of the most legendary road running shoes um, of all time. And so they came out with the Trail Edition, which is basically the same kind of build with just some tread underneath it. And the tread is not even like that chunky. It's still a pretty... Um, smooth so to say like i mean there's lugs on it but they're not huge so it's like very very good for you know those 
non-technical trails, those faster kind of trails. And I believe it's Nike's lightest trail shoe on the market too. So just kind of using all these factors together, I picked the trail shoe that was most like a road shoe so I can have the security of having the extra traction and comfort while also, you know, not, not, you know, risking the weight and everything like for example the zagama and the wild horse by nike are great shoes they are a little bit on the heavier side and so for me knowing that i was going to need a lot of leg turnover and i was going to probably push it a little faster than usual um i wanted to go ahead and you know kind of find the hybrid between the two so it was the pegasus trail so if i were to go back and i had to choose a trail shoe for this race i would 1 million percent do the pegasus trail uh four and if i had to race again on those shoes i would be completely happy with it Going back now, though, now running the course, I actually might have switched to the Vaporflies. Um, I believe Ryan Miller, who won the race, actually wore Vaporflies out there. Um, so he wore those, too. So... And I did see a lot of other people wearing them as well. Um, knowing that I know the course is not as technical as I thought some sections were going to be, I'd probably go ahead and do the vapor fly, but I don't regret my decision at all, if that makes sense and answers your question. So really just comes down to, do you trust your shoes? Do you trust the course? Um, and I always say like opt on the side of what's going to give you the most peace of mind because um, you don't want to be second guessing yourself on race day. So that's just uh, a little bit talk on the shoes because that was kind of like a big um, thing that a lot of people were asking me about the race itself. Now, um, going into Hawaii, this was actually one of the first races in a while where I had like pretty extended travel going to the race. I actually did my first race at uh, my first ultra in Hawaii. It was a 50K Spartan race, and that was in 2019. Um, and so that was really like the first like major trip travel that I did. For this one, this is the first one in a while that I've done. I've usually either stuck to races in California or Arizona or Utah, so kind of still in my wheelhouse. Um, for here, like, you know, I didn't really see the travel as too big of a difference or too big of a deal. We got in on Thursday, and I never really got affected by the time difference or the time jump it actually favored out in arizona's favor because you know waking up at 4 a.m for race day at a 6 a.m start i mean that basically equates to about 7 a.m here in arizona so even if my body clock was still on that time which didn't feel like it but i just knew that if it still was i'd be okay and i didn't need to get in as early enough and so um, those are just things you want to think about, too. If you're like going to Europe or something and it's a really big time jump, then you might want to get there a little earlier, like a week or so, just to make sure your body clock is up to speed and everything like that. And again, it all depends on the time of the race and everything like that. But those are things just to keep mindful of and just making sure that you're hydrated, that you're walking around on the plane, that you're shaking out the legs, all those different things, you know, that kind of come with, with travel. And that's a whole other episode that we can kind of go into is like how to travel for race day but thought it was worth mentioning that because I know I got some questions about, you know, the travel aspect about it as well. Now, let's get into the actual race day itself. So Kauai 5.0. So um, my plan for this race, it was... I was going to go out pretty conservative in the beginning and I wanted to finish strong. When I look at my last few ultras, major ultras that is, so... Um, Canyons 100K, Black Canyon, Hovelina 100, they have all been incredibly fast in the beginning, and then I kind of severely drop off the pace towards the end, and it's a really, really fat positive split, and basically all those races I was holding on for dear life at the end of them. 
for this one, I said, hey, I really want to have that experience of me, you know, starting out slow and really going through and finishing strong. Like I want to have that experience. And so for me, the reason why I wanted to do that was because um, ultimately, you know, Zach, my coach told me this piece of advice that was great. And he was saying, if you never really felt that feeling of feeling good at the end of the ultra, usually your brain's going to say, I'm just going to push it out in the beginning, no matter what, because later on in the race, no matter what happens, I'm still going to feel terrible. So I might as well just like gun it while I can. And then, you know, because the end's going to be a suffer fest, no matter what, um, it doesn't matter how hard I go in the beginning. Um, that is definitely BS because you definitely pay for it if you start to go out really, really hard in the beginning. And again, if you look at like my last three ultras, that has kind of been the case. And so this one, I kind of wanted to rewrite the story narrative on that as well by going out slow in the beginning and ultimately kicking up towards the end. Now, one of the questions that was asked to me was, what is your slow pace, right? Now, I want to say that pace is a very relative thing. A slow pace for me is going to be a fast pace for someone else. A fast pace for someone else is going to be a slow pace for me and vice versa, right? Someone's slow pace is going to be my extreme fast pace. Like for example, like Ryan Miller and Raj, the guy who came to one and two, the pace that they ran on there, that is a pretty fast pace for me. Um, and that was relatively closer to maybe my, um, you know, uh, I mean, it was, to them, that was probably their slow pace and it was definitely a faster pace for me is what I'm trying to say. So everything's relative on here. Don't compare your pace to anyone else's pace. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll be honest too, like there'll be times like where you'll see someone say like easy recovery run and you might not even know that it's actually a recovery run. They might be pushing it a little too hard. You don't know the full stories and the full backgrounds of things. So I would just say that just from like a you know, perspective of comparing like fast and slow paces, don't even worry about it because it, it's just a fool's game. Now for curiosity's sake, cause I know someone did ask like, what is your slow pace to go out in the beginning? I told myself, Hey, if I go anywhere from like seven thirty to eight minute miles in the beginning, that's going to be really good. Now for me, that would be a quote unquote slow pace for a 50 miler because usually like for like a hundred K's, like the paces I've been going at have been like sub sub seven thirty. So that's like way faster than what, you know, my, if, if I were using that same kind of logic, then like my 50 mile pace would be in like, you know, maybe like, maybe like mid sixes. Right. And so that's generally what I, if like, if I were really trying to gun it out from the start, I would probably like trying to be aimed for like that 645 kind of range. But I said, you know what? I'm doing a 50 miler. I'm going to be slow, um, relatively slow that is. And so if I shoot from anywhere from like 730 to eight minute miles, that's going to be great. And then I said in the mid and the, the loops two and three, I'm going to take it a little slower just because it's going to get hot. It's going to get, you know, a lot more carnage out there and I'm just going to conserve the energy. And then loop four, I'm absolutely just going to gun it and send it and finish strong. And so that was my general plan on there. I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a positive split at the end while maybe doing some slower laps and laps two and three, just to make sure I didn't cook myself off the bat. So that was my strategy on there. My other strategy in terms of like water. So, um, I carried two 21 milliliter handheld bottles, um, which might've been aggressive because there was actually aid stations every four miles, which is really, really close in a uh, position on there. But I wanted to make sure I had as much water as possible because again, I know I've said this on the podcast many times before. For me, I generally 
drink a lot more water than the average person and so I like having that extra comfort of having more water than I need to in that case and so for me I had two bottles I had one bottle filled with goo roctane so I had two scoops filled in there which is 250 calories and 50 grams of carbs and two I think 300 300 milligrams of sodium something like that and then one bottle just filled with ice water and that was it um, I like to have that ice water for two reasons number one it's a nice palate cleanser whenever I kind of feel my mouth getting that sticky cotton mouth feeling from the gels or everything like that and also too if I have extra water I can topical cool myself which I'll talk about this race and, and how that came into effect because it really really was useful on top of that as well, um, by finishing that bottle of Goo Roctane every hour, I also supplemented with one Goo Roctane gel, which is another 100 calories and um, I think 20 grams of carbs and about just under 200 milligrams of sodium. So it was coming out to, and then I also took three salt pills an hour as well, which were each like 180 milligrams. So I think all that totaled out to 350 milligram or 350 calories an hour. Um, 60 grams of carbs an hour or 70 grams of carbs per hour somewhere around that range and 700 milligrams of sodium every single hour so that was generally my nutrition plan on there and um yeah that was the plan going into it and i actually stuck to it really really well throughout the race um so i was pretty happy about that um let's see i'm trying to think about of other pre-race stuff as well yeah, that was pretty much it. That was the pre-race stuff and it just had a lot of stoke and everything. So how did it all actually play out on race day? So usually for me, when I go out into races, and I'm sure you've seen the pictures of me at Javelina and Black Canyon and Canyons 100K, I'm usually right in the front, right in the front, right in the start. For me, like I think putting myself at the start at that front position is really powerful because it kind of gives you that um, hype message to say like, Hey, like I deserve to be at the front and it's awesome. And it, it really is a good confidence builder to be in that front. But I told myself, Hey, because you're taking it a little bit slower, it's actually going to be worth it to be maybe a little farther back in the beginning. So I actually took it a little farther back to maintain that message of, Hey, let's move it a little slower here. And so let's just move it back a little bit. So, so I did move back um, a little bit more from the start than usual, but it was a really, really cool atmosphere in the beginning. There was like Hawaiian tribal music playing. Brady uh, started to actually play some like rap songs after that and everything. He was hyping up the crowd. It was such good vibes there. Everyone was stoked to be there. Um, and there was a lot of people who this was their first ultra. So you were talking with people who were saying this is their first time as well. You have elite runners like um, Raj and Ryan Miller and uh, Jeff uh, Stern, who, I mean, Jeff Stern's just such a freaking amazing guy super super cool we're having him on the podcast soon which i could not be more excited about um so it was super cool you had all these like professional runners and then you uh, also had you know all of these people who are first timers or you know just casual runners as well it was just such a good eclectic mix of people as well and so in the beginning it was high vibes all start everything like that and then it was three two one and the race started now I told myself, do not run out with the front pack. Do not run out with the front pack. And guess what I did not do? I didn't run out with the front pack. I was pumped to listen to myself. And I kept telling myself, this is your race and your race only. Because so many times I've gotten caught up with, you know, seeing how far that lead pack gets and think, oh man, they're getting away. I can't see them, blah, blah, blah. And I start to think like, oh man, maybe I should pick up the pace. And I know in the past, that's what screwed me up. So for me, honestly, I did not care about pace or I did not care. Sorry, I did care about pace. I did not care about place. 
add an L in there. I did not care about place. I didn't care about where I was in the field. All I cared about was what my intensity was and what pace I was going at. And for me, I think I did a pretty dang good job with that in the beginning, which I was super, super proud of. So I'm gonna pull up actually my, my splits here on my, uh, on my handy dandy Strava to see like what my actual splits were. So let's see, mile one, 756, mile two, 812, mile three, 726, mile four, 752, mile five, 739, mile six, 723, mile seven, 733. So yeah, I was pretty much like right on pace with all of those um, miles in there and I was feeling really, really good and it was just super, super awesome. Um, I didn't chat with actually anybody for like the first seven miles and I actually did that pretty intentionally because I knew that if I started to chat um, that early on in the race, and I mean like really, really early, I might start to, you know, not be as diligent with my fueling or might not be as diligent with my pacing. And um, like I've done that in the past where I've like chatted a ton in the beginning and then I realized like I'm absolutely flying and I'm like, oh boy, I need to calm this down a little bit. So like for me, I told myself, um, hey, I'm not going to chat with people until I get into a groove, until I find people going my pace and then we're going to kind of go from there. And luckily that's kind of what happened. Um, so the first seven miles, I actually didn't chat with anyone. And then uh, right around seven miles, um, came across this awesome dude named Gunner, who was just super, super cool. Um, super awesome guy from the Texas area, has tons of experience, um, you know, running ultras as well. And was just a guy that just loved running. And we just started just chatting about, you know, our backgrounds and our history. And I commented on him because he wasn't wearing a shirt. And I was like, dude, I wasn't gonna wear a shirt, but I am wearing a shirt. And uh, is it the move out there? And he was looking fine. He was feeling good. And he was just had great vibes, which is awesome. And then to make that moment even better, um, all of a sudden, uh, Anna Cassius, who incredibly talented runner, just super, super talented, Olympic trials qualifier, uh, national um, uh, champion as well, too, which is just super cool. She was a gold medalist in the 2022 Team USA um, competition for 100K, um, came fourth place at Black Canyon. I mean, just an incredibly talented runner, but most importantly, so nice, like really just one of the nicest persons I think I came across on the race. And she came on and she said, hey, you guys look like you're having fun. So uh, I'd love to join in. And so she came in, started chatting about her. She was absolutely just blowing my mind with all the accomplishments that she was mentioning out and everything. But I thought the most refreshing thing about talking with her was you can tell like how much she loved the sport of trail running, how much energy it gave her, how much excitement it brought to her. And that was just really, really motivating for me and really, really just like uplifting, like, because I was so focused in those first seven miles about like, what pace am I going? Like, keep it slow, like blah, blah, blah. And like in that moment, when I was talking with Anna and Gunnar, like I started to realize, I was like, this is why I do this sport. I actually do the sport because it just makes me feel alive. It makes me feel connected. It makes me feel, you know, just uh, connected with other people as well. Like sharing this amazing moment together. Like we were just sharing stories of our ultras and, you know, sharing our backgrounds and why we got into running and, and you know, what it's like running in the places we were living. It was just like such an awesome awesome conversation. 
And it was great, too, because it was getting pretty hot during this time. Like, this is when the heat was starting to come up. And we were just sitting there, just having a good time, chatting, talking. And so that was actually one of my favorite moments of the race was, like, spending time with Anna and Gunner and really going through and just getting to know each other, which was just super, super cool. And later on the race, like, Anna actually went out and won it for the females at such an incredibly fast time, um, which was super cool to see. And Gunner did incredibly well, um, placing in the top 10 as well dude just absolutely smashed it out there so it was cool to connect with them for a bit then i went into um you know then we all went into the crew area so this is the first crew stop and shout out to um my boy ryan who was actually there um crewing his partner nicole hansen who uh we met right before this race she's on the era viper racing team and she was running this race as well and ryan was crewing her and um offered to help crew me during the race because I didn't have any crew at the time. And so shout out to Ryan for crewing me. I appreciate you, brother. That was awesome. Uh, really, really took great care of me. And so I ran in, Ryan gave out my bottles, um, pre-filled with the Roctane and everything that I needed, made sure that I had some cool water on me um, to really start getting out there. And that's like really when I started to start to cool myself. Like I said, okay, it's starting to get hot out here. Let me just actually start to cool myself. So I doused my shirt, everything like that. And then even when I went to the first aid station right after that, which actually the first aid station was like half a mile from the cruise spot, I actually started to put extra ice in my ice bandana. So I was wearing a Nathan, uh, actually not an ice bandana, an ice gator. So I wear an ice gator. It looks like a bandana, but it actually is a gator. But I started to really like put in like, you know, topical cool myself and like put in ice and everything like that because the sun was starting to come out. It was starting to beat hot and everything like that. Now at this time, again, I didn't know what place I was at, but I was in 13th place looking back at the splits on there. So I was in 13th place at the time, but again, I didn't care. I said, I'm running my own race. And then once we get to the last lap, that's when things are going to start to boogie on. And so, so yeah, I uh, started running here. And immediately, um, as I started to get up the first climb um, of the uh, second loop, so loop two, or I should say every loop started out with a little bit of a climb, not massive at all, but like, you know, for the race itself, it had a little bit of incline, like about a few hundred feet of elevation. I started to feel like pretty hot in this scenario. And it, it was like really, really hot. And I was like, oh man, like I'm feeling extremely hot right now. And it just kept getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And so in this scenario, I told myself, okay, like, let me uh, just, am I dry right now? Like, cause I always ask like, if I'm hot, am I dry right now? And I felt my shirt and the shirt was still soaking wet. Now, normally out in the Arizona heat, like that thing would be dry to the bone because it just dries up but because it was so humid and sticky, it was just staying wet. And I was like, oh boy, this is going to be interesting here. So I started to douse myself a little bit more with the ice water in my bottle and it would cool me down for like a second, but it just kept getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And I started to feel extremely hot, like extremely hot, like coming into like the midpoint of that second, um, the second loop in there. And I will tell you, I felt way hotter in that weather than I did at any point in any of the runs that I've done in like 110 degrees out in Phoenix. And the temperature at Kauai, I believe, was like 81 81 degrees and of course i think the humidity was probably somewhere around i think 75 80 percent somewhere around there it felt so much hotter i think it was that humidity like the humidity just made it seem so much thicker and everything like that but i was feeling extremely hot like so much that, like it felt like my brain was kind of cooking inside of my head 
I also think a thing that made it hot, especially on this course, was like the dirt on the roads was like this red dirt. And the heat, I feel like, was radiating off of that red dirt, um, which was kind of making it feel a lot more hotter. It like felt like I was just in a, just a cooker, just getting absolutely smoked out there. And I was trying to dump as much water on my head as possible, trying to get as much ice and everything like there, but it was just really, really hard to cool down. So I told myself, okay, the way that you're going to have to cool down right now is taking down the pace a little bit because you can't have your heart rate go super crazy in this scars. So I started to kind of take down the pace a little easier from there. So from miles 13, 14, all those things, my pace splits, 856, 929, 906, 843, 820, 826, 929, 802. So that was um, from 12 to 20. Um, so still keeping it relatively slow, but pretty slower as well in terms of that too, because, and that was a conscious decision on my end. Um, and I did feel myself like feeling a little less hot coming in. When I came into that second aid station though, I was feeling very, very hot. And I knew that I was like, okay, we're just going to have to just load up on ice here. And you're just going to have to just keep dousing yourself with this cold water as much as possible. And so for me, I really went through and just, I think pretty much like almost every five minutes, I would say, I would take that water bottle that I would have and I would just pour it all over myself. And the one trick that actually really helped to cool me down a ton is I was wearing a Jonji hat. And if Jonji's run all day hat is like really thin, it's waterproof or not waterproof, but it's like this tech wiki kind of material, but it actually absorbs the water really, really well. So what I would do is I would actually take the bottle, I would squeeze it on top of the actual hat itself, and the hat would just like absorb all the water and it would keep my head so cool. And I would just literally just do that like every five minutes and that was really helping a lot. And since the head's a place where it actually stores a lot of your heat, um, by doing that, I felt like my whole body was like cooling down a lot quicker. So usually when I have ice sleeves, like I'll tend to put it on like the pressure points in my sleeves, but because I didn't have that, I couldn't really put the ice on the pressure points. So the next best thing I can do, I thought was, hey, if I put it on my head, this might be helpful. So that helped a ton and it helped to cool me down a ton. So I managed that problem pretty, pretty well. Although if I didn't figure out that like hat strategy, how oh man, it, it could, it could have been rough out there. Cause I was really feeling that heat and it was just, it was brutally hot. And the rest of the rest of the race was, you know, felt extremely hot as well. It just kind of felt accelerated during this time uh, here. Now, once I started to feel a little bit more cooler, another problem actually arose that really, really got to my head a little bit. And you can actually see this in my splits. So at mile 26 around the halfway point, I started to actually feel this really sharp pain in my right hip, specifically um, kind of in the gluteal, gluteal area. So like if you're thinking about like the hip, um, kind of like near the sit bone itself, um, I started to feel this really, really sharp pain. Now, if you're familiar with the podcast, um, especially around my Black Canyon era, I was actually dealing with an injury in that same area, um, specifically in the hamstring um, that attached to the sit bone. It's called high hamstring tendinopathy. It's something that 
I've been battling with for a while and it's been on and off. Um, and so at first I thought it was that, but the more that I was running, the more it was actually a sharp pain that it felt like it was to the bone. Um, so when I did have this high hamstring tendinopathy in the past, it would clearly feel like it was muscle or ligament or something like that. And so like, I was like, okay, this is definitely something connected to one of those things. But this sharp pain, it felt like it was at the bone and it was really sharp to the point where it was like, anytime like I actually accelerated or went fast, it would just get worse and worse. So like the faster I went, the um, the worse the pain that it would get. And this is loop three at the point when I was like, okay, maybe I need to start picking it up a little bit. But anytime I tried to push it all, it would just feel like this like sharp pain in my sit bone and my hip. And in my head, I was thinking, wow, I've never felt this before. And I started just thinking all these stuff in my head, like, is this a stress fracture? Is this something serious? Is this something like not good? Because like anytime I tried to really turn over the legs, I just couldn't do it. It just was really, really hurting. So I told myself, okay, let's just monitor this and let's just see how this is. And so I told myself, I say, okay, at the next aid station, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a little bit of a breather. I'm going to stop for a bit. I'm kind of going to roll my hips around just to make sure like, you know, nothing's popping or like nothing's making anything weird things and just kind of assessing the situation and just monitor it for there. I did tell myself if it becomes something that is just going to be unbearably painful and something that was going to push me into really potentially doing some long-term damage, um, there was the possibility that you know I told myself I was like it's probably not gonna be worth it if I keep going then I might need to sit this one out but I went to that next aid station kind of rolled it around a little bit uh, kind of like testing to see what would happen it was really sharp pain it did hurt like absolute hell but I told myself I said okay maybe if I just take it at a slower pace I know I can finish this it definitely aggravates it the faster I go so maybe we're just gonna have to take this loop three pretty slow as well I knew for me I was like I want to finish this race I want to get this done and so I really just wanted to do whatever it takes to didn't DNF or like and or do extremely long-term damage to my hip um, but it was agonizing like I was just, you know, really, really bummed too, because like I had it in the tank for me to like keep moving forward until I keep going as fast as like faster, but it just hurts so, so bad. I think in like a scenario where if this was my A race, I probably would have just, and this might've not been the best move, but probably would have been more susceptible to kind of pushing it a little bit. But again, just to save the risk of, potentially doing long-term damage. I did not push it that much. And so I said, okay, I'm going to push it a pace that, you know, is going to feel like it's not doing some serious long-term damage on here. So looking on the splits there, we have uh, mile 26, 1250, mile 27, 1046, 1103, 1107, it was just hard for me to push with that hip. Um, and I, again, did not want to screw up myself. And so, and I was really bummed because I, I told myself, I was like, I, I think I like left myself enough in the tank where I could have actually probably negative split this race, but the hip kind of came up and um, I just had to problem solve it as best as possible. So I told myself to keep kind of going on there. And I won't lie, like around, you know, the part where I started to see the pace slow down, especially towards like mile 35 or mile 36, 14, 12, 37, 1202, 38, 11, 7, uh, 11, 37. 
I started to feel like pretty bad for myself and like being like, wow, like you did it again. Like you're going to positive split this race like crazy, even though I knew that it was because of that hip and because like how messed up it was. Then I actually came into an aid station and, um, it was funny. Like the, the music that came into my ears was right now by Van Halen. Um, if you've ever heard that song, it is fucking awesome. It's fucking awesome. Um, but in the chorus, it says, it's time to turn this thing around right now. And as those lyrics kind of came around, I asked myself a question that just came to my head, which was, what story do you want to write? And it brought me back to Tom Evans when I interviewed him going into Western States 100. And he talked about how he wanted to craft this storyline of him going through Western States, going through the highs, going through the lows, going through the challenges and overcoming as, you know, someone who was able to, you know, be the main character in the story. And he said, do you, I don't remember the exact lines, but it was somewhere along the lines of, do you want to be the main character or do you want to be a by or you know one of the secondary characters or do you want to be um, a supporting actor something like that but I thought it was so good and I brought that question back to me I was like what role do you want to play in this do you want to play like the victor or do you want to play someone who is just getting owned by the situations in front of them and so with that question asked it was like what story do you want to write and I was like I want to write the story of finishing strong I want to finish strong that was a story that I wanted to set out in the beginning and that's the story I want to set out at the end as well. And so at this point, um, you know, like what I did was I said, okay, I, I made peace with the fact that this hip was going to hurt and that, you know, uh, but I wanted to push it a little bit because I knew it would feel, feel great for me. So this, uh, by the time this is going out of my head, this is like around like mile 44. And so from here, then the pace starts getting 10.03, 11.34, um, which is a little slower, but then 10.41. And then 9.54. So then I started for the first time since mile 25. I went under that 10-minute mark, which is great. And then after that, um, 11.31. And I think at that, that aid station, I was cooling for a little bit. And then the last three miles. So I didn't tell this to my friend because, quite frankly, like to me, I like to play a competitive nature. But I will also say this, and I forgot to mention this before. But... Again, I had no idea what place I was in pretty much for most of the race. And then when I went into the end of the third loop and I went to go see Ryan, I asked him, I said, hey man, like, how am I doing? And he goes, dude, like you're in the top 10 right now. And I was like, what? Like I'm in the top 10, like top 10 male, like what the heck? I had, I had no idea I was in the top 10 male because like in my head, when I was kind of going through the things, I was like, when I was kind of guessing where I was at, I would have guessed that I was at like 17th or 18th and I was like, oh, I'm not even close to contending. Like it's not even close, like whatever. And so when I went into that situation, he was like, yeah, you're in the top 10. I was like, whoa. And that was like a big also mental boost to me to like say like, wow, like I'm actually, you know, could potentially hunt. And I'm asking him, I was like, when is the guy in front of me? Like, when did he come out? Like how far ahead is me? And I started to play the game. And as I'm playing this game on here, I start to think back to, um, you know, just the, just that competition, right? Of like finding someone and hunting them down, right? And so I love playing that hunting game where like you hear hey this person is like x amount of minutes ahead of you can you go get them and so for me um ryan told me he said hey like don who is my good friend on here i didn't tell him this so if you're listening don this is actually going through my head he goes yeah don's like two minutes ahead of you 
And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go catch Don. And it was uh, awesome because as I'm like kind of running and picking up the pace a bit, I'm asking like the aid station people, like, hey, like, did you see like this guy with the beard come through, was wearing arm sleeves and everything, wearing speed lands, like, and they're like, oh yeah, he came through like, you know, a few minutes ago, like, you can probably go get him. So like, I'm on the hunt for him. And um, I eventually did see Don. Um, I know he was battling some some demons out there and battling some adversity, but um, it was cool to catch up to him. And like, in my head, I I was like thinking, I was like, oh man, like, can I actually like move up the ranks and like get into the top five here? And just being in that mode of competitiveness and like wanting to move up the ranks actually also helped me to like push hard as well and so when it came to that point i think i passed on around mile I want to say like 47 or so, so very close to the end, I like got this second win and I just started to run. And now the end of the course is like pretty punchy uphill too, where like, you know, at some parts I was actually walking because like it was just so brutal. At this part, I just kept asking myself, what story do you want to write? What story do you want to write? What story do you want to write? And all along the way, um, basically I just started running and running fast up this hill and just like feeling just great. Now my hip wasn't feeling great, but like mentally I was kind of in the zone. And at mile 49, I ran a 925. At mile 50, I ran a 906, which was awesome. And then there's 51 miles in the first, not 50. Um, I just kind of just started just to gun it. And in my head, all I can tell myself was you have one mile left to go. You have one mile left to go you can do anything for one mile like I just keep telling myself that and with that finish line I saw that finish line come in and I just ran as hard as I could to that end and I remember at the end of it I I passed the finish line and immediately like my hip just like kind of like seized up and just like just felt so painful like right as I crossed the finish line and I like remember just lying down on the ground and just in like so much agony and so much pain but was pretty proud of myself I said wow you battled that hip you battled that heat out there you battled that adversity you battled all those things and you wrote the story that you wanted to write for yourself doesn't matter if you were first place or anything like that but what mattered to me was that I, I set out to write a story about finishing strong, and I had done that. Now, it wasn't perfectly as I wanted it to, but still, it was still in a mode where I can actually go out and write it, and that was, and that was fulfilling to me. And I ended up finishing in ninth place male with a time of 8.18, which is really interesting because that 8.18 time is actually almost the exact halfway mark of what I ran at Havelina 100 last year. So if you take the 818, multiply it by two, that gives you 17 or 1636. That's my exact time of what I ran last year at Havelina 100. So like from a pacing perspective, I would have liked to be much faster than that Havelina 100 time. And I really, really do think that if I didn't have that hip issue, I 100% could have broken um, sub eight for sure. And I do think there was a chance for me even getting sub 730 as well. But um, that hip was just so, so painful and and so bothersome that I just had to deal with the cards that I had in that situation and also be smart and not totally put myself out of the game long term, which is um, really what got me to... I think slow down on that day, but I'm glad that I battled the heat. I'm glad I battled the um, adversity out there. I'm glad I had the great memories of Anna and Gunner. And ultimately, I, I do see this as a win for me because... Um, even though it didn't go the way that I wanted to in terms of the hip and everything, the fact that I still finished strong in my books with the cards that I was giving, that's a win. And that's something that I always say to anybody who's going in a race is like, 
no race plan is ever going to go exactly to plan. If you can actually go through and do good with the cards that you're dealt, that's a win. And I kept telling myself, I said, these were the cards that I was dealt in this situation. And I made the most out of it. And it worked. And it did well. And I, in my books, I, you know, uh, I won that race um, that I was setting out for myself. So I'm glad that I did too. And I also got some prize money, surprisingly, too. So I only thought one through five was getting surprise money. But I saw my friend Brady at the end of the race. And he came up and he's like, yo, six through ten gets prize money. And I go, what? So won a little bit of prize money. So shout out Brady for that. That was super cool. First time I've ever won prize money in an ultra. So that was a cool win as well. But uh, I remember I lied on the floor for probably a good 30 minutes after I finished um, because my hip just hurt so bad and I could barely even get up from the ground. Um, in regards to the update on the hip, it has still been feeling a little bit of funky um, in some of the runs that I've been doing after. Um, I'm going to have to get this checked out. I know I'm going to be pacing Sally and probably not sleeping too much this weekend uh, with Bigfoot, which is probably not going to help the hip too much, but a lot of the pacing is going to be probably low intensity hiking or jogging kind of stuff. So I don't think it's going to piss it off too, too much. But when I come back, I'm probably just going to get it checked out just to see what's up. Um, I don't know what the issue could be. I don't know what could be causing the issue. Um, I think if I were to guess, it might be having something to do with maybe my mobility in my hips. And so what I'm going to do kind of coming after Havilene 100, or I should say after Kawhi 50 into the 100, Havilene 100 is focus a lot on hip mobility, hip strengthening, hip stabilization, because I think it might have something to do with that kind of stuff as well. So um, I will probably stay tuned on that. But that was one of the big takeaways from the race itself is probably do more hip stabilization exercises and really figure out that issue so it doesn't end up being, you know, a problem at Havilene 100. Because if it is a problem at Havilene 100 and I can't turn over my legs, that's going to really, really hinder my performance. So I know that a lead domino for me to really, really unlock performance is to get that hip fixed ASAP. And so that's going to be a big priority for me. Um, the second thing that I took away from that is like, never forget the arm sleeves. The arm sleeves are the key when it comes to cooling. Um, I was feeling extremely hot during the race and I do think not having arm sleeves was the reason why. So next time I will remember to pack me arm sleeves and make sure they're one of the first things that I pack when it comes to a hot ultra that I'm traveling for because those things are godsend. I'm a huge fan of them. If you are looking for um, a really good cooling mechanism for a hot race, like arm sleeves are the way to go for sure. And I think the third thing for me is like, never be too afraid to go out slow in the beginning. Like, because again, I, I started out the race in 13th and crawled up to ninth, which was like, you know, not drastic in nature, but um, probably could have moved up a lot more um, if I didn't have the hip issue, which kind of speaks volumes to like not being afraid to go out slow in the beginning. Um, and usually in the past that has been the biggest thing for me is like being afraid because I was going to get left behind or I wasn't going to hit my PR or anything like that. And so trusting the process to go out and do that, I think was a really, really huge help as well. So those were kind of like the three big takeaways that I got from this race as well. I do definitely have a lot of work to go in Havelina. I think in the fitness department, I'm okay. And I think in the mental resilience, uh, department I'm okay but I think the big thing is that hip if I can't get that hip to work um, I probably can't get you know that golden ticket to work because I'm really going to need to turn over those legs so this is why we do the tune-up races to figure out what are the things we need to work on right like if I kind of did a long run maybe I didn't know that I had that hip issue or I might be going too slow 
like relative in a long run relative to what I would do on race day. So therefore maybe I wouldn't get to the point where that hip's going to hurt. So that's going to be the big thing for me. And I'm glad that grateful that I went through that race to understand that thing in there, um, which is, you know, going to be super, super helpful for me to, um, really fix as I head into Javelina hundred, so to say. Now, let me go through your questions too on the tail end of the episode. So these are going to be the listener, or I shouldn't say listener, but the Instagram submitted questions that are coming in um, about the Kawhi Five O. So let me just pull that up here on Instagram. Okay, so the first question here is: Is your fueling and humidity any different? Um, I don't think the fueling and the humidity is any different than if it would be in the dry heat. The fueling is all the same. I would say just in general, when you're fueling in hotter weather, you definitely want to make sure to get in way more electrolytes than usual. So usually like in a typical race, I'll probably take around 400 milligrams of sodium an hour, but in really, really hot races, whether it's humid or dry heat, I would take any uh, sodium from like 700 to 900 milligrams an hour. The reason why that is, is because usually I sweat so much more and when you're sweating a lot of that salt gets out and so you want to replenish a lot of those electrolytes so for me i bump up the electrolyte stuff as well but in terms of like uh any difference in terms of the humidity itself um no changes on that um in terms of humidity actually itself it's just more so based on the hot weather too second question uh is the pegasus trail still the best for this race I would say the Pegasus Trail is the best trail shoe for this race if that's the trail shoe you're going to pick. Going back on it, I'd probably go into a road shoe and I'd probably do the Nike Vaporflies. But I do think when you're looking at the trail shoe, the Pegasus Trail, definitely the best for this race for sure. So that's the second one. Third uh, question here. Arizona or Hawaii, the most difficult for weather racing in July and August? I would say Hawaii 1 million percent, 1 million percent. Running in this humidity was way more difficult than any triple digit heat that I've ever ran in Arizona ever, absolutely ever. Like this, I mean, and I don't even think it's close. Like running in the heat in Hawaii and the humidity, that was the hottest I think I've ever felt in my life. And I, I was even hearing some people on the course who did Badwater saying that that course felt hotter than Badwater, which is crazy because Badwater gets up to, you know, 125 degrees. So yeah, I think that humidity is just different. And I also think the course was just so different because um, you have like that red dust or I should say that red um, colored uh, dirt and it just reflects off of that dirt so, so hard. So I do think that Hawaii is definitely the most difficult for weather racing in July and August, especially if it's an exposed course because, oh boy, it is, there is a lot of carnage out there too. So Totally, totally get that. So uh, I would say Hawaii takes the cake for that. Fourth question, Kauai, humid conditions in comparison to other places you ran. Uh, just mentioned that. Um, yeah, it, it is brutally hot. The hottest place I've ever ran in by far. And it wasn't even the hottest by far temperature-wise. Like I even ran in Denver um, a few weeks ago and it was 98 degrees. And this still felt extremely hotter. And even Denver's at a little bit of elevation too. So... Yeah, I would say the Kauai humid is really, really tough as well. A lot of questions about humidity. The second one is hot, dry heat versus humidity. Which one is tougher to deal with? Humidity by far, because you don't have 
the ability to topical cool. I think topical cooling when you're dousing yourself in water is such a weapon and I, I would say an essential if you're in a hot race is like dousing yourself in cold water because you do get the evaporative cooling effect. But in humidity, you just don't get that. And there really is no good way to kind of prepare for humidity other than running in it. Whereas like preparing for dry heat or, you know, you can always do that in the sauna and everything like that. So yeah, I, I think humidity is, a, is definitely the tougher one to deal with for sure. Absolutely. Next question. What did you have for breakfast before? So I had a bagel with peanut butter beforehand. Usually I do a bagel with cream cheese. That's generally my go-to. But the... I don't know why I didn't get cream cheese. I didn't get cream cheese because I didn't want a whole tub of cream cheese because I wasn't going to probably be eating it all week. So um, I just had these peanut butter packets instead, um, which I like using the cream cheese because it has fat content. Peanut butter has fat content as well. I have know that I've had peanut butter as a substitute when the days I didn't have cream cheese and that my body responds well with it. So that's what I had before the race. I had peanut butter with cream cheese. And then even right before the race, I actually ripped one of the goo gels right before just to have some calories flowing through my system. So that is what I had for breakfast before. Next question, where did you get those awesome shorts? So the shorts that I was wearing were very colorful in nature. They were tie-dye, um, pretty, pretty bright colors, like rainbow colors. They are awesome. My favorite pair of shorts. And I got those shorts at John G. Um, so John G, um, is an incredible company. I love the apparel. I wore the hat too. Like I mentioned, the hat was, I think the hat was just amazing out there. Like that was a game changing piece of equipment from a cooling standpoint, just keeping my head cool and just soaking that hat. Um, but I love John G's gear so, so much. The best uh, running apparel that I've ever worn. And uh, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, um, I have a 15% discount code for you. If you use the code EverydayUltra at checkout at johng.com, you get 15% off your order. And don't worry, that question was not planted. That was a legit question that I got in there. But if you're curious to get those shorts or those hats, um, yeah, then I would go to johng.com and then use the code EverydayUltra for 15% off your order. Next question. Were there any local aid station fairs there? Pineapple, Spam, Masubi? That would be epic. Um, no, you know, that's a good question. I don't think there was any local fair there. I mean, for me, I generally don't take too much from the aid stations unless it's something that I'm already using. So like for me, they did have goo gels at the aid station. So I was taking that and they also had goo electrolyte tabs, which I was drinking as well. But other than that, I generally don't look at anything else because I tend not to stay away from I tend not to deviate from my nutrition strategy. So I didn't notice if they had other things there because I was quite frankly just looking for the stuff that I had. Um, but that's a good piece of feedback for, for Brady to have like local fare at those aid stations, which is super, super cool. Um, pineapple span Masubi. Yeah, that would be pretty, pretty awesome out there. Next question, how did you prepare for the humidity while living where it's so dry? Um, like I mentioned before, the way I would do is just soak myself in warm water as opposed to cold water to kind of mimic that like soaked feeling and running in it. Um, did it help? I'm not 100% sure. There's no scientific studies behind that. Usually just the best way to prepare for humidity is just overall heat adaptation. So I think it's just one of those things where you really just kind of kind of get used to it. I think you know, humidity is kind of like altitude in the sense where, you know, you really need to be acclimatized to it to understand or to, to, you know, get used to it a lot easier. So like, I think for me, like you would in a place with altitude is coming there like a little earlier before 
going into a humid race next time, I'd probably get there a little earlier just to run in the heat or run in the humidity a little bit more just to get used to it. Um, and just to get my body not as much of a shock because I think going right into the race, right into the humidity after training in the dry heat for so much, it was kind of a shock to the system. And I need to find out if there's a good way to simulate the humidity training because uh, that is a good question. So maybe something to follow up on because I don't, I don't know if there's a really solid way to train for it, at least that I've come across for as well. Next question. Good for a fi- first 50 mile... Fi- Good for a first 50 miler despite the heat. So this person's asking if the Quiet 50 is a good first 50 miler despite the heat. Absolutely. I think it's a very runnable course. It's a very easy to crew course. So like your crew is going to be super, super easy. And it's also easy to drop bag if you don't have a crew as well. So I think for all of those, and the aid stations are very, very close apart. So plus the beautiful location. I mean, Kauai, I mean, you get, like I said, you get the ocean views, you get the, the jungle views, you get the, um, the mountain views, you get all these things during the race. It's, it is amazing. And Kauai is like my favorite place of all time. So it's a really, really cool spot. So yes, I do think this is a great first 50 miler because of how runnable it is, because of how accessible it is in terms of aid station and crew and drop bags and all those kind of things. It is in, in terms of views and just memories and experience, it's a great, great place to do it. So I think it's a great first 50. I will say the heat is definitely something to not skimp out on like that definitely makes this race a lot harder for sure but in terms of the course profile itself really really good for a first 50 miler so i would say yeah i would say this is a great first uh um, 50 mile there's a lot of people for their 50 milers out there kind of doing it as well which is great uh next question most memorable moments out there i would say the two biggest things is the two most memorable moments is number one running with gunner and uh anna the female champion of the race um that was just so great because i really got to connect back to the love of the sport and the love of the community and the uh, camaraderie from actually running with other runners and that was really the only point on the race course where i was really chatting it up with a lot of people out there i chatted with john for like a hot second and then he like passed me when i was pretty much dying um um but i would say like running with anna and gunner was a top moment and then secondly were the last three miles where i was finishing strong and telling myself like what story do i want to write when i think about like my most memorable moments those would be those two ones right it's like the moments of being with someone and the moments of overcoming discomfort and i think that's a really really big indicative thing of life in general right like the most fulfilling moments are the ones with other people and also the ones where you overcome insane amount of difficulties and it's cool to see it show up in this race like that Next one, biggest takeaway from the race. Um, The biggest takeaway from the race for me is like I really need to improve that hip issue, whether it's strengthening, mobility, anything like that, I need to fix that thing. And it's a lead domino that I know if I can fix that thing, everything else is going to fall into place. And I always like try and say because like every single race you can always ask about or you can always find something that you can do better. But instead of like focusing on all like the little things that are going to lead to little results, ask yourself like what's the lead domino that I can improve on on this race that is ultimately going to make, um, ultimately going to make everything else better, right? Because if you can focus on that one thing that's going to affect everything else, ultimately you do 20% of the work to yield 80% of the results. And as ultra runners, we're already super strapped on time. So you want to get super efficient with that. And so like for me, I know if I can fix this hip, then I can fix like the pacing problems. I can fix the fatigue problems. I can fix the mental problems. Like a lot of those things are going to get 
uh, fixed a lot from there too. So um, that's the biggest takeaway from the race is, is getting this hip fixed and that's my lead domino. And that would be my takeaway for anyone assessing a race is like find the lead domino and attack it from there. Next one, what was your hydration like for this race? How many scoops do you use? So I mentioned this before, two scoops of Goo Roctane every hour in the bottle as well, and then three salt pills as well. So about 700 milligrams uh, an hour, and then 200, or sorry, 350 milligram or 350 calories uh, every single thing. And so, and generally I would finish, um, like I said, one bottle every hour. And if I was really jonesing for some water, I would finish the other one. Uh, the other full water bottle in the hour as well. Um, surprisingly, I've only peed one time during this race, and this is going to be absolutely disgusting, so I apologize in advance, but I actually peed while I ran um, just because I'd never done it before and I wanted to try it, and I pretty much regretted it because like it like seeped all into my shoes and it was gross, so sorry if that's TMI, but um, if you're ever thinking about like peeing yourself during a race, be warned, and let me be your guinea pig to like, tell you it's pretty miserable experience out there. Um, so I, I don't know if you were expecting that answer with that case, but I only peed once during that race and that was it. So maybe I did, maybe I was a little bit dehydrated out there. I don't know. I'd never felt dehydrated. I never felt thirsty. So, but that was my general strategy for that as well. Next question. What was your average pace to start when you said slow? Um, I know I answered this question earlier before, but I would say anywhere from like the 7.30 to 8 minute mile pace would be the slow pace. Now that would be my slow pace for a 50 miler. For a 100 miler, that might be a little too fast, but like for a 50 miler slow, um, that would be it for there too. And that's another thing I want to bring up is like your paces slow can differ for every types of race. Because if you're saying like 8 minutes for a marathon or for a 5k, like that's pretty slow, right? Um, or, but 8 minutes at like a 100 mile uh, race it could be adequate um, or eight minutes at like a very hilly 100 mile race like that's immaculate right so you really just got to like understand the course and the terrain and the distance to really like understand like if a certain pace is like slow or not so that's a good question there what would you do differently or next question let me bridge that what would you do differently if you plan on racing Kawhi 50 again um I would probably get there a little earlier to acclimatize to the humidity a lot more because the humidity did kick my butt. Um, I think that was a big factor. I would 100% do that because I think the best way to train for humidity is to be in it itself. There actually is now, okay, now I did actually hear about a way to um, train for humidity, although I haven't um, done it yet, is like you can actually have like these humidity tents where like you can like run in a treadmill and like have these humidity tents and like run inside them to like create this humid environment um it sounds so miserable but that's a way i've heard to train for humidity um but i don't have access to like a treadmill in a garage and i can't i don't know if i can bring a humidity tent into a gym um and i know it's not always accessible for everybody but that's one way where i've heard to train humidity um now what's an accessible way to train for humidity other if you're not in the area um I'm still trying to figure that that part out. So something I have to do in research is like, you know, starting to prepare for the humidity a lot more is something that um, I, I think a thing that I would do differently again. What was your hourly feeling is the next question. Um, already covered that as well. Um, so I won't go too in depth about that. Uh, next question. Will you race in 2024? Um, TBD. Um, TBD on that because I want to do Western States next year. Um, potentially want to do UTMB as well, 
potentially even Leadville if I get in. So there's a lot of different races around that time frame. I'm going to have to see how like my entries shake out and what I get into. Um, but if it fits in the schedule, I would 1 million race, 1 million percent race this race again. And anyone listening who wants to race this race, do it. It is amazing. It is awesome. It is a blast. The experience is amazing. The course is amazing. The people are amazing. The, um, it's just an overall incredible experience. So I would say, um, I highly suggest anyone race this. Will I race it next year? TBD. Will I race it in the future? Absolutely. Again. Next question. Was it a boring uh, route? Um, fast and flat is tough. No, I did not think this was a boring route. I am biased. I am a very big fan of fast and flat. Like for me, I can run on a track for hours and not get bored. Um, I just like running fast and flat. That's just my kind of you know, forte, so to say. Um, so to me, it doesn't bother me. The course, and but the course is not boring at all. Like I said, you get like all these amazing views from the beach, the mountains, the jungle, these like open fields. Like it, is, it was not boring at all. And I thought it was great. So um, not a boring route. Very, very awesome. I would say very diverse as well, which kind of switch it up. And so, yeah, I, I do really... I don't think it was a boring route at all. I thought it was very, very fun. Um, even though it was fast and flat, I still thought it was fun from that regards. All right, let's go with the last questions here. Pulling it up one more time. Let's see, hydration during humidity. I live where it is extremely humid. Yeah, I would say like hydration when it's humid is pretty much the same approach as you would take in the dry heat. I don't think it really differs in terms of fueling strategy and humidity, at least in my experience. So um, I would just say up your sodium intakes, go anywhere from 700 to 900 milligrams an hour, and then make sure you're drinking, I would say, at least a liter an hour. And that's what I was pretty much doing at the Kauai 5, though. I didn't, I didn't touch on the actual um, liquid content, but I would finish probably, you know, one and a half of those, or I would finish yeah, probably about like one and a half of those or two of those bottles every single hour, I should say. And which equates to about a liter. Um, so yeah, I would say at least a liter an hour, 700, 900 milligrams of sodium. You do that, you should be pretty good. And if it's humid or dry heat, I don't think it matters too much in the fueling strategy um, because it's hot is still kind of hot as well. Next question. What was your longest training run in prep? Uh, 25 miles was technically the longest run, but again, because this was basically, or the race was put in as a training run for Javelina 100, that 25 miles was really more for Javelina. If I were to train for this 50 race, 50 mile race in the vacuum, the mileage probably would have been a little different, probably would have been around like 18 to 20 miles or so uh, at the high end, maybe even a little less, but probably would have been somewhere around that range. Next question. Did you spend time relaxing after the race? Yes, I absolutely did. So uh, we spent three days in Kauai after the race, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Um, the day after, we actually did an eight-mile hike uh, on the Nepali coast with, I think, 2,500 feet of elevation gain. So <laughs> definitely got a good active recovery in there, which I thought was great. I mean, I like to flesh out the legs, and like my legs weren't re really wrecked at all. It was just kind of my hip that was a little bit pissy, but... Um, other than that, really wasn't too bad. So, um, and then the day after that, what did we do? We went to Hanalei Bay and we chilled on the beach all day. We got a great dinner. And then we went to a luau that night, which was super, super fun. So we got to do that, which was amazing. And then the last day 
what did we do on the last day? The last day we, oh, we went to Waimea Canyon, which is called the Grand Canyon of Kauai. And we did a hike down to one of the waterfalls into the canyon, which was super beautiful. And we did a few other hikes in the area, which were great. Um, and then we uh, got some food at a food truck and got some shaved ice. And then we watched like sea turtles on the beach after, which was super cool. Like we were watching these sea turtles, like literally coming out of the water to sleep on the beach. And there was, I think like about like 12 of them there's 12 sea turtles coming in and it was just a fascinating sight to see. And so, yeah, we enjoyed our time. I was out there with my fiance, Lexi, um, who's my, my lover, my best friend, just the all around most amazing person to be around. So got to spend some good time relaxing after, which is great, which I suggest if you're traveling to any race, get some time to, to go in there. It's, it's awesome. Next question. How did they, and by they, uh, I think they mean the race director, get 15000 in prize money? Oh, I think they actually means the actual person. How did they get 15000 in prize money? Um, or I don't know how to interpret this question. How did they get 15000 in prize money? Um, maybe the way that they're asking this question is like, how did they acquire that money itself? So Brady, the race director, actually funded all the prize money himself, actually, which is super, super cool. Um, he's a former business owner. So he, um, he took a lot of that money from there and he's actually poured into this race, which is super, super cool and shows how much this race means to him. So I believe that 15,000 was mostly self-funded, which is incredible. Shout out Brady. Thank you again for doing that, man. It is amazing. Um, in that same question, would you do it again and why? Yes, I would 1 million percent do this race again. Um, I think it's super fun. I think the environment's amazing. And I think the course is just incredible. Um, so I think a combination of all those things is I would 100% do it. And I, I think I would also 100% do it because this is a race for the ultra runners. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you see someone pouring in all this money, all of this attention, all this dedication into this actual race here, you know that this is a person that cares about the this this sport and the runners and everything like that. And I think it really shows throughout this as well. And so because of that, like I would 100% do this race again, for sure. Um, and it's a great race, I think, for sure. Okay, last question. What was the, your favorite part of the Raj duel? That's a great question. So um, for those who don't know, Ryan Miller and Raj, um, who were the two uh, athletes who were uh, first and second place, they were basically running neck and neck for pretty much most of the race. I would say, like, I, don't, I wasn't following it too, too closely because I was out there obviously running, but I think they were pretty much neck and neck for, like, 45 miles of the race or something like that. And then at the very end, Ryan Miller pushed ahead. Um, I think the best part about that, like, and Raj is an awesome dude and Ryan's an awesome dude. They're both awesome guys. I got to meet him at the race and chat with him. Just both incredible human beings. And spoiler alert, Ryan's actually going to be on the podcast coming up real soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, I think honestly, like my favorite part was seeing Ryan Miller going out and actually getting this win because I know Ryan's had a little bit of a tougher race season kind of going into this one with, with Black Canyon and Canyons and maybe a few other races not going his way. And so to see him like put in the work and to see him like make this happen and get the W, that was just awesome. And to see him like, you know, basically come and, and make the final push at the end uh, in a race where he's pretty much recently equally matched against someone else, I think is just so, so awesome. So that was my favorite part uh, of that as well so last question is or I should say I I think I said the last one was the last question but there's one more here is what was the preparation like um, yeah this whole episode kind of covered that already so we'll go to in the in the weeds about that as well 
But that is it, my friends, for the Kawhi Five O recap. Thank you all for listening to this podcast and, and hope you learned some things about this, about the race, about preparation, about your own training. That's what I want to try and do with these recaps is obviously tell like my story and how the race went. But really, my number one goal is to make sure that you have everything you need to, to be better endurance athletes every single day. And so I hope by these race recaps that you get those as we kind of go into there as well. So thank you all for listening, my friends. I appreciate you a ton. Um, If you're looking out for more episodes, they're on the way. Um, So much more. We got tons of exciting content coming on the Everyday Ultra podcast real, real soon. I know we're releasing episodes like once a week or so, but coming up real soon, we're going to be having tons more content coming out. So stay tuned, stay excited. And let me tell you, I appreciate every single one of you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate anyone who reached out to me before, during, or after the race cheering me on, giving me the support. It means the world to have it. And if you're here listening to this podcast right now, know that I'm super grateful for your support and know that I couldn't be where I'm at today without your help and support. So really appreciate you, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, be a better endurance athlete every day. Take care. We'll talk soon.